0: This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. The issue here is algorithms pushing kids towards content they did not ask for. We have research that if kids look at self-harm content, they're more likely to actually harm themselves. The average child in the United States uses three and a half hours of social media a day. If you feel like body image is a fuzzy issue, hours of sleep is a really concrete issue. We know with kids, if you don't get seven to eight hours of sleep, you literally change how kids' brains grow. They have much, much higher risks of a wide range of mental illnesses. It increases substance use and it hurts kids' academic performance. We live in a world right now where there are teams at Meta, at TikTok. All they do are try to figure out how you can spend more time on their platforms. Now we can start putting pressure on those companies to say, you need to help kids have real choices about signing off. Right now, one in three kids in the United States is online till midnight or later, which means 10% are probably until two.
1: That's Francis Hagen on yesterday's episode of Real Talk. And if you didn't have a chance to check it out, we encourage you to do so with the author of The Power of One, uh, probably more well known as the Facebook whistleblower. She told us why she did it, why she provided tens of thousands of documents to the SEC and to the Wall Street Journal. And then she talked about how she thinks We Can Fix This Mess, a fascinating conversation with somebody who's doing heavy lifting, keeping young people, and quite frankly, all of us safe when it comes to what we don't know right now about social media. You know, we drive these conversations every single day. Today, we're going to find out why Canadians have faced so many barriers in accessing information, What are you entitled to know? I mean, really, Canadians are calling the shots, right? When it comes to government institutions, elected officials and government, Uh, Robin Doolittle and her colleagues at The Globe and Mail have been looking into this, working on their Secret Canada series for almost two years now. Uh, She's going to take some time to take us into what they've learned, uh, filing hundreds of Freedom of Information requests so we, average Canadians, can get that information that oftentimes we need to make informed decisions or better understand the world around us. Coming up later this show, we're also going to talk to John Valiant, the author behind a brand new book, Fire Weather. He's just published this. It takes a look at that Fort McMurray wildfire, the one dubbed The Beast, the one we talked about yesterday, the most expensive, the most costly natural disaster in Canadian history. Uh, John's new book takes a look at the rapidly changing relationship between fire and humankind. And we're going to talk about that today, including the politics of fire communication, including, yeah, allegations of arson. All of that to come on this episode of Real Talk, which is presented by our friends at Danatech. I wanted to let you know that if you need safety training that actually makes a difference on your job site, you're gonna wanna look at danatech.com. Danatech's been the leader in Canadian safety training for more than three decades. Their online blended and instructor-led training courses combine regulatory compliance with real-world smarts and practical tips from experts who actually know how busy job sites work. You can visit danatech.com today to check out their course catalog and train your team the right way today with Danatech. Well, if you follow Canadian journalism, you know exactly who Robin Doolittle is. She's an investigative journalist at The Globe and Mail, and she's one of the lead investigators on this secret Canada investigation you can check it out online at secretcanada.com and we're grateful that Robin's making time for us on this Tuesday morning Robin welcome back to the show and and uh it's good to see your face I know that you know you, you you've been doing a lot of work you've been doing a lot of heavy lifting on this project a lot of it I imagine kind of unglamorous work <laughs> fi- <right? laughs> to Hun- put it mildly filing hundreds of freedom of information requests how did this project first get on your radar what prompted it
2: so my colleague Tom Cardoso and I are both members of the Globe's investigative team. And if you guys are on Twitter, your listeners are on Twitter, you follow any journalists, you're probably used to journalists constantly whining about this thing called freedom of information, FOI. This is uh, the process by which everyone can access public records from public institutions and journalists are constantly moaning about it that oh we're you know things we're filing are getting delayed it's too expensive i'm getting back stacks of blacked out paper full of redactions and in october 2021 so that's how long we're talking um tom and i were talking about this over beers as one does and we're just sick of it Like, let's try to do something about this. And that's where we said, could we turn our investigative reporting skills on the system itself and show why this country has such an unhealthy relationship with transparency and um, giving people access to the, the information that they own?
1: So you know as well as I do that, that some people are going to be listening to this interview. They're going to be listening to the podcast while they're walking their dog, and they're they're going to go, uh, uh, th- "This isn't me, right?" <laughs> they're going, to, yeah, they're going to go, "I'm yeah. I'm I'm never going to file a Freedom of Information request. I really, honestly, don't think that this matters to me. Can we convince them otherwise?
2: I hope so, because guys, people, this is the foundation of democracy stuff, and don't you know fall asleep just yet, because the vast majority of people who file FOIs are regular citizens and businesses. They're, um, you know, media, academics. We make up a very small portion of requesters, even though we might be the most visible ones. Um, You know, people are filing FOIs for things like they want to understand what their school board is doing uh, with class sizes. A lot of requests uh, during COVID around Um, people trying to understand health data and mask research. Um, This is businesses trying to understand why they didn't win a contract or developers looking for information about property before purchasing it. This is people trying to access their police report, their health information. Um, They're holding, people are really interested in in what government does. They want to know what um, types of conversations their uh, politicians are having with businesses and developers and environmental groups. I mean, this is what FOI exists for. And in Canada, we are among the worst in the developed world. Uh, Our governments are are very, very bad on this front.
1: I can ask you why that is or why you think that is in just a second, mm-hmm. but, but I think that you just accomplished one of your assignments uh, by laying out examples of what people might request information on. I bet you just woke up a lot of people. I bet some people had no idea that they could look into those. Th- you know, the one that woke me up is a business wondering why they didn't win a contract. That would be something that a lot of people would be very interested in. Was there nepotism? Is there shadiness? I mean, of course, people would be curious to know.
2: Exactly. You know, one of the stories that we told in the launch of, of this project uh, was a a small town developer. So this is not, you know, one of these the big guys. This is a guy who is a developer in a, in a little city of about 45,000 people in eastern Ontario. And he was going around buying up buildings that had fallen into disrepair in the downtown core and fixing them up. Second floor becomes a residential apartment. Ground floor becomes commercial. And this was tickety-booing along for years. And then uh, there was a dispute with the city at one point, which was trying to expropriate part of his property on uh, connected to a widening road issue. Just very small town stuff between businesses and city hall. And um, he says after he pushed back on this expropriation, suddenly his business permits start getting denied business uh, building or his building permits uh, building permits that were very similar to ones he'd been filing for years and years without issue and this was going on and on and it had completely stopped his business from being able to function properly and his commercial tenants were not going being able to move in and he uh, he files a freedom of information request to see like why are they being denied and the the, the city quoted him they wanted almost $2000 in fees to access this information which he paid he got back some blacked out paper, um, a box of his own emails and rep- files that he had he had sent to the city and then a note that the city was withholding thirty five hundred pages just outright. You We, we have thirty five hundred pages. You've paid two thousand dollars and we're not going to give it to you. This is what we're dealing with in Canada, which other countries do not deal with. When we were doing this reporting, we were testing you know, just how bad things are. And my colleague, Tom, and I were filing FOIs with cities for things like contracts. We asked for cities, can we have your garbage collection contract? Just basic stuff. And they said, no, like, think about that. This is a city that is paying millions of dollars to a company. And I can't know the exact amount of money. We're not asking for the details of the contracts, just the amount that the contract is worth. That's secret information. Well, taxpayers and just to, have a right to know how their governments are spending their money
1: yeah just to throw it out there as well robin you're talking about a specific industry that's pretty well known for having uh, organized crime infiltrated in a number of cities uh, i'm going to throw out including montreal there so to suggest that a city could get away with trying to justify not providing information in that context is, is ludicrous quite frankly
2: and it's not they're not allowed to do it the courts have said contracts are public Appeals commissions, which deal with FOI requests when people complain, have said they're public. They are undisputedly public in this country. You, If you are a Canadian, you are able to ask your public institutions where they're spending their money. That is a right of yours. But in Canada, these, these governments, these public institutions are just saying no dare us what are you going to do about it okay so why, this do, is why, breaking you, the law.
1: why do you think this is the case like when you say that canada i mean we we, we loved it we had francis Hagen yesterday talking about you know misinformation and social media and all this and, and and she says that from a legislative standpoint she says canada is is recognized as a good actor she says canada is recognized internationally as a as a country that that doesn't over legislate a country that likes to legislate oh. educate. i mean canada we, we love to think that we have the best <laughs> reputation we sew our flags on our backpacks and now we find out that i mean when it comes to the developed world when it comes to so-called first world countries when uh, we're talking about access to information we're brutal at it
2: yeah our legislation is ranked 51st in the world not great we are bad and uh you know things like i'm coming back to contracts because it's just the most easy in the united states states cities the federal government they just post contracts online in canada you can't even get it so when we were doing this inform- this this reporting, what was really interesting, we did an audit of every um, ministry and department in the country. There's about 250, every province, territory, federal government. I should say it's not just ministries and territories that are subject to FOI. Basically, any institution that's paid for with tax dollars or that's run by government is is subject to FOI with some exceptions. But we did an audit of ministries and departments. The entire country, they're blowing their deadlines. They're overusing redactions. You know, records are not being released regularly. What was really interesting, though, is the entire province of Alberta denied the FOIs. The entire province of Alberta, all 22 ministries. And again, I want to say this is not a media request. This is not someone going, "Eh," you know, screw the Globe and Mail. I don't want to answer this. They are legally required to respond to an FOI that asked for really basic information. We wanted some basic data from their internal tracking system. And they responded and said, we uh, we don't have any records, which is just straight up a lie. Hmm. Like, that's not true. They do have records. And we've been back and forth with them. And there's some kind of like twisting in the wind around uh, the, the form of a record, the, the bottom line is, you know, this is really disturbing. And I do, I do think it was interesting that Alberta, of all places, where I think, you know, is more aligned in some ways culturally with American sentiments around, you know, what what does freedom mean? Sure. And freedom means freedom of expression, that this was blocked by Alberta. and um, And that's just an example of that governments are, you know, going out of their way to just Say no. Trust yeah, us. I mean, can
1: you and I agree that the word freedom has been so bastardized and misrepresented over the past number of years that I don't even know what it represents anymore? You know, I was yes. reading secretcanada.com and, and and obviously touring. I mean, the, the work that you and your colleagues have done here is unbelievable. Like, you know, I, I mean, yeah, you spoke to 200 experts. You you looked into I think almost 500, correct me if I'm wrong, 500 different information requests. You mailed 150 checks. Like, just just from a logistical <laughs> standpoint, can I ask you me. Yeah. Can I ask you? Minus, I'm not talking about your salaries. I'm not talking about your call. I'm not talking about the operating expenses. Do you know what the Globe spent on requesting these freedom uh, on requesting this information? Do, would you have an idea? I mean, is it like 300 grand?
2: No, I mean, so the application fees, so every, so you mentioned secretcanada.com and I'm really glad you did. Secretcanada.com is what, so we have a a, a traditional newspaper investigation being published in the Globe and Mail. But when we set out to do this, we said, we don't just want to complain about this because everyone's sick of complaining about this. We want to at least try to present a solution to some of the issues. And one of the big problems is that no one knows what's already been released through FOIs. Um, Other countries, when they finish a request, They get a request from a member of the public. The public pays their fee. They say, okay, this is a public document and everyone's entitled to it. So what we've done is we've collected all of the completed FOI summaries for the last year, year and a half and made them searchable online. So you can go look up in your city or your local hospital, your police service. What are the government, what's the government releasing? This took a year and a half and it was very expensive, but not as expensive as you'd think in terms of the actual requests, because um, some provinces have application fees. They're often $5. Some I places see. are free. Alberta's expensive. It's $25. But as mentioned, Alberta just said, yeah, we're not going to bother. So they actually just mailed me back all of my checks. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars to do this. Right. But it's worth it. This is like this is basic stuff. This is huge. And I'm so proud of this investigation. And guys, if you feel like nerding out, go on, go on secretcanada.com, throw in some search terms, Snapping turtles, environmental assessment reports, Justin Bieber, they're all in there.
1: Wait, whoa, whoa. Whoa, what? Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber's got the a Biebs? hit, yeah. What no, someone, now Johnny's paying attention? Was, what what's going on with the beavers? Someone was
2: releasing records on Justin Bieber having a dispute at the Border or something like that. You can go look. You can ah, read it. Ah,
1: right. So I'm trying to think. Like, uh, what was the? Oh no, that that's a bad example. It was down in Arizona. But I was going to say, you hear or see a story about your celebrity, like I think it was Austin Matthews, uh, the Maple Leaf star, that was uh, I think arrested or at least detained or confronted uh, near Phoenix a while ago for urinating behind a dumpster. I think that was it. Would you you'd be able to like this would be an example, Robin. I know you you hold yourself to a higher standard than we do with your curiosities, but I would be able to had that happen in. Canada, was that if that was in hamilton i could request the police report on that
2: well there's there's two things here there's one there's filing new requests so you can ask for documents and this site will teach you how to ask for documents Uh, like step-by-step guides we have a letter generator we have how-to guides it's like it's very easy but if anyone's ever released information about something that you're interested in you'll be able to do what's called piggyback on that request and it's um they won't charge you money for it because there's an application fee but sometimes you have to pay additional fees as i mentioned with the developer example but because it's already been released it's free i just did a search for hockey i'm trying to think of like there's a lot i mean there's a million hockey records that people have asked for through the years especially with the whole hockey canada drama but um like how many requests here we've got you know 150 requests that deal with with hockey in some way so yeah there's lots of fun on this uh on this site to play around with. So wow, I'm, uh,
3: I'm just reading. It was Justin Bieber allegedly bribed border guards with ten thousand dollars worth of backstage passes to get his friends with criminal records into Canada. What? A show, yeah. So it's a, it's wow. A, I'm already intrigued about this site, Robin. This looks amazing.
1: So <laughs> oh, good. <Thank laughs> you. And you know what, Robin? Like, like uh, in all seriousness. Johnny and I like that's an example of a story that'll catch our attention that re- reiterates the catch everyone's attention that reiterates the value of this but l- look at what else i mean you know canada's immigration system overwhelmed with information requests ottawa was warned but did nothing i can think of thousands of people in canada that would be very curious to know about that i mean man the more i learn about this project the more questions i have let's not gloss over the fact that our home province of alberta is is per- i mean if canada's performing in brutal fashion, Alberta's establishing a whole new low. Yeah. Um, are we talking about, like, I wanna be clear on this, and I'm not giving anyone a pass, but I wanna make sure our focus is in the right area. These aren't politicians, these are bureaucrats which leads me to believe that there may be a whole other motivation. I understand controlling narratives. I understand the greasiness of politics. I understand why elected officials or aspiring elected officials would be be motivated to keep certain information from seeing sunlight. But you would think that the public service, that the bureaucracy – might be a little bit different. I mean, I know that you're a journalist. You're not, you don't want to come to this as, a, as an opinion columnist. I don't, want to, I don't want to ask you to speculate and throw a bunch of stuff against the wall. But what's going on in Alberta, do you think?
2: I mean, this is the one issue where I do feel like I have a very uh, defined perspective, and I'm happy to share it. And that is that information belongs to people information held by the public institutions that we fund through our tax dollars belongs to us so yes I actually you know get offended probably in an unhealthy way when this type of stuff happens um, I don't know what happened with Alberta I will say that tw- you know 48 hours before we were gonna publish I went back to them again and said okay well uh, no sorry I went back to them a week before we were gonna publish and said okay I'm just I'm, I need to include in a, a sentence you have a comment on why you didn't provide this i'd already had many conversations with them i had their reasons for why they didn't provide it which is that they said no records existed um and they suddenly were you know seemed uh apologetic and that this might have been a a mistake of some sort
1: well it's not a great look um, i mean
2: and, and i i do want to reiterate like i had many fights for over a month with people about this and was very much told this was may 2022 that no, this is our position. So I don't know where it came from. I, frankly, I have no idea. I did file FOIs to try to understand how that decision was made, and they didn't reply to them. Mm. So uh, now now the premier actually last week said that, you know, she was uh, going to look into this. And so um,
1: politicians are actually going to follow up on that.
2: That's I, on my yeah. list of things to do today. Yeah, yeah. well, keep us Love posted, will up.
1: you? Because I'd, I'd, I'd be curious to know where that all goes and. And I don't know. I mean, Robin, we're, you know, corresponding right now with Alberta's the Office of the Auditor General Um, and the Auditor General's agreed to come on Real Talk. Now, we're going to be talking about something completely different. Uh, We're going to be talking about toxic leaks from tailings ponds and pollution of of land and water near First Nations uh, communities. But um, this sounds to me to be like something that the Auditor General might have some sort of curiosity around. I don't know if that's maybe putting them on a wild goose chase or focusing the question in the wrong direction, but I don't think Albertan, I don't think that the average Albertan would be okay once they realize that we're sort of the worst in the country at this, and we're talking here. I mean, if you want to supercharge a conversation in Alberta, Robin, you know, start talking about citizens' rights, right? And citizens' rights here are being compromised.
2: Yeah, and I also just want to really emphasize that this is not just journalists whining. This is happening no. to other people as well. Like we are getting after we published that story, my yeah. inbox and, uh, you know, mentions and DMs filled up with people in Alberta who were saying that this exact same thing has happened to them. I don't exactly know what's going on in mm. the uh, in the province I mean, I did. I can say, I don't know how in the weeds you guys want to get. So you just stop me at any this time. This is a but very
1: in, engaged audience that would be very curious. Okay. I trust, all right. you, I trust let's, your gut let's, instinct. Let's, let's go. do the
2: tea here then. Let's pull back. So back, you know, we're talking May 2022 when I'm having all these fights with different <laughs> FOI analysts being like, what do you mean you have no records? You, of course, have records. Like, this is nuts. Other governments sometimes were quibbling with us. Like, we asked for information in a you know Excel spreadsheet. and They're like, I'm not giving it to you in Excel spreadsheet. You're going to have it in a PDF fine whatever like th- that's annoying but no one else is trying to claim that they don't have to give us information so anyway i'm back and forth with alberta and i'm like what are you guys doing yada, yada. and then someone kind of finally broke and said look don't get me fired but this is what's going on is we are getting uh directive from you know the or we believe like what i think is happening is the administration is saying they want to um to have someone challenge them on this position. They, if, unless it's really easy, we don't want to fulfill these requests. So for example, this is, this is the distinction. And this is an example, this is a broader issue in Canada. This happens all the time. If I am requesting, I want, let's, let's say the City of Calgary made a report on bike lanes or something. I can request that report on bike lane if I know the name of it and when it was published. Like I can say, I want the report titled City of Calgary bike report or something, I can't send a request in for I'm looking for documents related to bike lanes produced by the city of Calgary. They're saying they're no longer going to do the latter, which is illegal. They have to do it. It is in the legislation. But they're saying that they this is what this one analyst was telling me, that they are making it harder and that they want someone to challenge them and file an appeal. If I don't if you don't like what a requester or what a government institution tells you, when you ask for information, you can appeal to the information commissioner, every province and territory in the federal government has one. Um, They're very backed up, backed up by sometimes as much as four years in Nova Scotia. So it takes forever, but they do have some teeth and they can force government to release records. Now, I wish they had more teeth because forcing someone to release a record four years after it was asked for, I don't know how effective that is, but um, Alberta's information commissioner is aware of this case. and. Uh, she has the ability to independently investigate this, this issue. I don't know if she will. I've, she's also on my list today to follow up with. If uh, With Ethics if Commissioner Tressler?
1: Marguerite
4: Tressler? No, it's not the, it's oh, pardon not the me. Ethics
2: Commissioner. This is um, the, the Information and the, Privacy Commissioner commish, in Alberta. Yeah. But uh, lots, listen this is not hard. I also want to say what we asked for was extremely innocuous and boring. There was nothing sensitive about it. It was like, tell us the dates that you receive FOIs and the date that you close FOIs. So we can measure if you're meeting your 30 day time limit. And, uh, I'd say uh, most of the country, well, the entire country is not, um, uh, there are select pockets that, that are, um, Alberta. I have no idea because they, they were, they just denied, which I think says everything.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, so, I mean, who's doing the best here? Average time to process a request. Saskatchewan, not too bad. Uh,
2: Saskatchewan's not bad. A few Quebec weeks. Quebec is not bad. Quebec's all right. Um,
1: Ontario's brutal. Ontario's uh, brutal. But they're not yeah. worse than Alberta. Um, percentage with records released. Uh, Northwest Territories is doing all right. Yeah?
2: Well, what's interesting about... So, this is... There's so much data. It was like we were trying to figure out how to say it. What's interesting there is a lot of places... release that, that category encompasses full release and partial release. So the idea is you get at least something, but we don't have any way of knowing how much of a partial release includes anything. So for example, the developer at the beginning, the example that I gave where he got back a bunch of blacked out paper, um, that would be called a partial release because he was able to obtain something even though most of it's blacked out. So... It, I, we, we included it because it was important. But I mean, I think you we should all be, you know, eyebrows up. What's really, again, key is a lot of requests, something like 20% of them receive no records responses. So I asked for this report, and you say there's no records. And again, not to not to harp on Alberta, but the Alberta thing was just so telling because they say there are no records. But there are records, 100 trillion percent. There are records. So I'm that 20% figure that there's nothing really uh, sets off alarm bells for me.
1: Can I ask you like what options, like when we keep you, you keep saying this is illegal. This is illegal. It's against the law. So what options does somebody have? Someone's not going to call nine one one when they get their FOIP request denied.
2: Well, one email me and we are going to start naming and shaming because I'm sick of this. Love it. And, uh, Number two, you can file an appeal with the information commissioner, which I mentioned before. This is another big problem in Canada. So in the United States, um, if you don't like what a government says to you, you can go right to court. And court's expensive. I'm not saying this is an ideal process, but at least it's possible. In Canada, you have to exhaust your administrative court options before you go to real court so you have to this is like i don't know what the situation is like in alberta but ontario our landlord and tenant board i mean all of our systems have completely collapsed they're all backed up like a year two years it's it's ridiculous but you have to go through this song and dance before you can seek help elsewhere so that's your first step if you can if you uh if you're unhappy is you can file an appeal with the information and privacy commissioner in some provinces, it's the ombudsman. Um, but in Alberta it is the information and privacy commissioner and your, your info and privacy commissioner in Alberta is great. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, heard lots of really good things. She's well respected. Yeah, they have, um, she has order. It's called order making power, which means she can say to the public institution, like, release that. I'm ordering you. Not all places can do that, which is another whole issue. Um, but it takes forever. And you shouldn't have to do it. And it costs a little bit of money um, in a lot of places. And it's just stupid. Like they, they, the, the bottom line is, uh, we also found a lot of times when people, as soon as people file a complaint, the the government or the public institution, the hospital, the city, the Crown Corporation, et cetera, will go, oh, okay, actually, here you go and give you the records because you've pushed back and they know they have no legs to stand on. So it's a big, it's a big
1: mess, Ryan. It's a big mess. Yeah. And I mean, and you're just, you know, you have this, this kind of tenacity, right. And this motivation. And obviously you have a huge profile. You're writing for basically Canada's national paper and which as you alluded to earlier may actually harm your case in some circumstances more than help it. But my, the point I'm making is that the average person, you know, I mean, I'm, to be honest, I'm kind of like this sometimes, Robin. If I hit a couple roadblocks in a row, I'm like, eh, and my attention goes somewhere else, to be honest with you. But totally.
2: That's, where people are busy. They don't have time know, to right? deal with this. But that's yeah.
1: playing right into the hands of the perpetrators here.
2: Exactly. That's exactly what's happening. And we've heard this. We, You know, we, you mentioned we had interviewed 200 people, you know, well over 200 people, and people who work in FOI and who are public servants, and who are politicians, and who've made these decisions. And some of the people who are the FOI coordinators have outright said that they've um that there's been purposeful delays like that a public institution will go well release this you know later the, sure. the, one of the examples someone says after an election like we're going to release it we're supposed to release it in june the elections in july we'll release it in august
1: right because and then it's only can, two months anyway well and no, that's no, the kind it, of little right. shenanigans yeah. that
2: uh that happen and yeah there's it, it's it's you know it's it's uh the reason journalists complain about this all the time is because it's it's unbelievably aggravating. You know, we go to journalism conferences in other parts of the world and they talk about records that you can get to investigate, you know, corruption. These like hallmarks of a democracy and we just flat out can't do it here. You know, uh, again, I don't know how much you want in the weeds here. Uh, maybe a year or two ago, I investigated the, remember the condo that collapsed in Florida, the Champlain yeah, Towers? Yeah, brutal. Killed hundreds of people. So those Canadi- Canadian developers built those buildings. Oh, And so the question was, did they build any buildings here? Um, in the United States, we could do that I did it with a colleague of mine, Adrian Morrow. Um, it took three days or so to do the American leg of that investigation, we went online, we looked up the developers, they had all their companies, they had all the other buildings that they built, you could get easily court documents connected to if they'd ever been sued, you can find for the tower that collapsed, all of the building permits all the inspection reports all of the times the city council debated what to do with them or whatnot um we easily tracked what other buildings they would built and assessed whether they were safe or not in canada none of that information is available to find out what buildings these developers built in canada i took the american information i wrote down all their names and their company names and then i went into the globe archives and read classified pages from the 1950s and 60s and 70s one by one looking for their names in our classified pages and then when their company came up I would circle it and once because once you have an exact address and a name then you can pull a property record right but you can't just search it. It's ridiculous. And that cost, I think we spent $5,000 because you have to order it out of the archives. So it was thousands and thousands of dollars and it took months. And and it's just like, I don't know if you can remember what newspaper classified ads looked like back in the 60s. Of course you wouldn't, but it's just, um, yeah, it gave me migraines for weeks.
1: I just want to say uh, that uh, hearing that you're spending five grand, the Globe is spending five grand just on that one important story to help inform Canadians makes us feel even better, Robin. To give the Globe our thirty four bucks every single month, and thank I, you, Ryan. And, and more people <laughs> should support journalism in Canada. I won't. I, I'm not going to ask you too much. Well, I won't ask you at all about these the layoffs this past, Just absolutely devastating. To see, like CTV? everywhere. I mean, oh, you know, just we, so
2: beyond. Upsetting. Robin,
1: we had an entire radio station, TSN twelve sixty, just close last week. Just like in the middle of a guy's show, by the way, how fucking brutal is that? Can you imagine being on the air and all of a sudden, boom, your mic is cut and it overrides with a thanks for all, you know, thanks for so unbelievable. I can't even believe it. Um, Did you want to say something about that? You look like you did. I I didn't want to put you in a
2: tough spot. Listen, I just wanted to say on this front that, uh, there, we are at record lows of trust with public institutions and, There are some in politics who purposely stoke hate towards journalists and the media and reporters, and um, it serves their purpose, right, to have people uh, question the intentions of people in the media. It is extremely concerning when you lose um, journalists in your area, whether you like journalists or not. We are there asking the questions. We are there holding people accountable. And I will say, contrary to what some might, I don't know a single reporter who is not just interested in the most important story, right? Like the bias, there is, the the bias is towards the best story. And um, we're there for, for you guys. And it doesn't mean you can't yell at us. It doesn't mean you can't hold us to account. We need to be held to account, absolutely. But everyone, Well, however you feel about the mainstream media should be extremely concerned about what's happening. And if you lose your your media in your in your area, who is who is going to um, hold the political leaders and our public institutions to account?
1: Very well said. You,
2: you can through FOI, except you can't, because FOI is broken. You can't,
1: so. except you can't. Um, and we wouldn't know how broken it is if it wasn't for your, and, and we should mention Tom Cardoso as well. I know you have, mm-hmm. but I'm, I should say his name because uh, Tom's put in a remarkable amount of work here as well. Um, I, I've kept you beyond what I've asked you for, but can, can we just wrap with the story of, a? Uh, you know how it goes, like the face of a story is big, right? Yeah, like, yeah, can, yeah, Can you tell us the story of uh, th- this guy, if Brooks you're watching Fallis. us on YouTube right now, Dr. Brooks Fallis, who's been a real critic of, of Premier Doug Ford in Ontario, and he he. Basically, uh, we don't say FOIP anymore, do we? It's just like FOI it's now. It's FOIP,
2: and, uh, it's 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 called different things in different provinces. In Alberta, I believe it is called FOIP. Yeah, so we would but say it's like here freedom of information, privacy protection, FOI. Yeah, it's different things. So That's he also
1: FOIPed right? himself, basically. Uh, can why don't, himself. We ra- why don't we? Why don't we wrap with his story to, to reiterate to to people why this is such an important resource and why they should demand better from the system?
2: Yeah. So here's a case study example of, of you know what's wrong right? And driving home again. These are regular people. This Dr. Brooks Fallis. during the pandemic, like a lot of doctors, you know, gained a big following, especially on Twitter and in the media. He was critical of the government's um, reopening plan. And this is going back to, I think, October 2020. This is, you know, before vaccines. Schools are still shut down and they're about to be reopened. And he was, you know, critical of, of the Ford government's handling of the pandemic. And he started going on media and talking about it and he alleges that he was told by hospital leadership that uh, they were concerned that the hospital was going to lose their funding if he can because of the bad press and that the premier himself had phoned officials at the hospital to complain and the hospital you know said we, we don't want to silence you like this is your right to speak out just try to you know let us know when you're doing media appearances and don't represent yourself primarily as a as a as a because he had a leadership role at right. a hospital william O's the
1: hospital like you don't hospital. speak for us basically
2: yeah you're not out there repping the hospital, you're talking about yourself. And he said, "Okay, so this is kind of going along. And then um, in January 2021, he suddenly is, you know, fired from his role. And it's not being renewed for another contract, even though all indications were that he was going to be renewed. He was very popular among staff and he was told by hospital leadership that this has nothing to do with your medical uh, performance or your leadership performance. This is because you have been critical of the government and um, that we're worried our funding is at risk. And he believes there was political interference, that there was pressure to do this. And so he uh, was unhappy with the answers he was getting from his former employer. And he starts filing FOIs or FOIPS. And uh, what was so interesting in this story like, is really in the weeds. But he fought back over and over and over again when most people wouldn't. There was, a, you know, an initial estimate that's going to take eight months to get the records. And he filed an appeal because you're not allowed to do that. Right. And uh fine the hospital said okay we'll give them to you earlier so then they sent him 175 pages and something like 40 percent of the pages had redactions on it and he was like no what's in these redactions and he filed an appeal and they said okay 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 here we'll take another crack at it and they sent the 175 pages back and half of the redactions had been removed and there's pieces of the puzzle that are starting to come together in these redactions and when he's looking at some of the stuff that they'd removed he's thinking well, on what basis are you able to remove them? We haven't talked about this, but um, Access Information Acts across the country, they all have examples in which people are able, or which institutions are able to withhold information. So if something's a threat to national security, it's going to compromise a police investigation. If it's the personal, personal information of a citizen, you know, that's obviously not going to be made public. So they're redacting things that are like talking about him going on a CBC program. And he's like, why would that be redacted? So he pushes back again. And on this third go round, they say, oh, all right, okay. Well, we found more records and here's this communications plan that they'd established to deal with the fallout from his criticism of the government. And then this kind of inflammatory sentence um, that, uh, that a communications officer had written about, you know, this being a risk to the hospital, et cetera, et cetera in essence, on the third go round, he got the information that he was looking for. And it took, it took four, wait, one, two, it took three appeals in total for him to get that information and something like two years. It's still going on. So, and this is, you know, what consequence did William Osler Hospital have for doing that? You know, nothing. We asked them about this and they said that the act gives them discretion, Um, which is true. The act does give them discretion, but they did also know that they would have to give it up eventually. So that's why they did.
1: Unbelievable reporting Robin Uh, I wouldn't expect anything less from you and your colleagues at the Globe and Mail Uh, thank you so much for making yourself available here I can tell by our live chat I told you this is an engaged audience you're lighting a fire under people oh good which is really great I am so
2: delighted to get a chance come and talk to you and your listeners about freedom of information because this on one hand sounds like the biggest snooze fest ever but <laughs> people this there's it doesn't get more important than this but
1: 100% this is it.
3: and don't and forget the, they got merch too Secret Canada right we there we got merch oh
4: you know yeah tell us this is on your
2: Instagram I know I, I was gonna plug it but we're actually almost sold out of them so
1: well let's get you to sold out then yeah. you know so what people can I, just <laughs> check out your Instagram or your Twitter Robin Doolittle Robin with yeah. a Y and they can go from there
2: yeah, they're a awesome. sweet bag. It's your right to oh, know. Oh, they
1: look amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Robin, keep up the great work. Okay, uh, thanks we're, so much. we're proud to call you a friend and a uh, fan of what you do. That's Anytime. Robin Doolittle. Uh, hit it out of the park. I saw uh, on the live chat here, I saw uh, a couple of people, uh, number one, saying this is Dennis, says he foiped his own Uh, Government of Alberta employment. He said he foiped his file twice as a former employee. Wouldn't that be interesting to like request your employment file Mm -hmm. and see what they had been saying or writing or documenting about you? This is kind of a gut punch. uh, Although, I mean, silver lining for us, but I don't mean to put it that way. But Cameron says, I'm here. Live tuning on Real Talk because TSN 1260 is offline. Like, which, that's just, which, first of all, it blows. We, we love those guys. We're good friends with those guys. Wait, I
3: just did a wedding where literally all these guys were all there. They were all there. And, and they, they were, didn't know the train was coming at them. And they were talking about the numbers and how they were, they've been the best in a few years. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. Ma- numbers the don't matter line anymore. I mean, you and I know that personally. In an office in Toronto or Montreal or wherever it is, they just look at a number and they say, hey, Let's axe this one and and make this number bigger. Let's. Yeah. It's all about the stockholders nowadays. They don't care about what what impact the well, station has on a local market. They only care about a bottom line and more money and revenue going to the people who yeah. are invested in the company and as a I, whole.
1: I don't want to keep John uh, Valiant waiting uh, too long. He's going to be joining us in He's just right a here. second, the author of Fire Weather. So let's not keep him waiting too long. But I will say this, um, if people know, and we're going to get a little bit local here, but mm-hmm. people would know the Forbes family name. Of course. Uh, you know, Jerry Forbes, Marty Forbes. I mean, the Forbes family is like radio royalty mm-hmm. uh, in Alberta. They established and, and built a lot of the stations that are very familiar to people. And Marty kind of just unloaded, not unloaded, he it with class, but just this long he just let his thoughts flow in a social Mm -hmm. media post that's public. People just look for Marty Forbes um, just a few days ago and what he he was lamenting was the loss of local leadership, Mm -hmm. where the general manager or a program director at a station would understand the role and the connection to the community that their on-air hosts had with the community, and not just the hosts, the producers, the sales directors, everybody, right? And like you said, now the shots are being called by bean counters. I sound like Ralph Klein. (laughs) By bean counters in Toronto! know. But the fact of the matter is that's true. And, uh, you know, if they believe that it makes, uh, you know, that it'll increase a dividend or that it'll, you know, make more sense from from a pure bottom line standpoint. And I'm not saying you ignore the business. No. We we watch our business bottom line very carefully here at Real Talk. It's a reality. Obviously any business owner will tell you that. But that's not the only thing that matters when it comes to communication, when it comes to media's role in the community.
3: And it's not about, like you're saying, it's not about business specifically. It's about someone in an office looking at what the stockholders are making and it's all about constant growth now Yeah, are the, are the, is everything ticking up are the arrows green and this isn't just Bell Media I mean Harvard Broadcasting here in Edmonton as well just did a huge axe yeah. of, of on-air talent tech producers creative as well so it's this, is, this is a bloodbath right now
1: it is it is and which is why we encourage you and implore you uh, to support journalism and to support uh, whether it's independent or otherwise uh, to support those that are doing great Great work, and, and work that you uh, deem to be valuable. I, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't shamelessly plug our Patreon right now. You can go to RyanJesperson.com on Connect and find out how, for seven bucks a month, you can help us elevate the caliber and the quality of this show. And of course, you can support our Real Talk sponsors. That's a great way to support the show is to support the people, the sponsors, like the team at KUBI Renewable Energy. Uh, wanted to let you know, uh, first of all, that KUBI Energy is our golf cart sponsor at the Real Talk Golf Classic. That's coming up on Thursday afternoon at the Ranch Golf and Country Club. 215 Shotgun Start. We have room for two more foursomes. Uh, you can register. Just go to com and look for the events link. We're thrilled to have KUBI Renewable Energy there helping us fund the Real Talk Julie Rohr Scholarship. And there's great news as well. If you're looking for work, you know you're a skilled installer you're, you're an electrician or maybe you're an electrical apprentice uh have you ever worked for a company that has cold beer on tap and friday ball hockey tournaments i do currently. <laughs> you do currently <laughs> yeah. well and we don't even put you up on the roof most times most times Uh, if you want to work for a company that provides investment matching yeah that's right Uh, a company that'll invest in your education and your career by offering training and assistance safety and equipment courses trade school post-secondary degrees i mean nobody does it quite like kubi you can get the ball rolling maybe on the next phase of your career by checking out kubienergy.ca if you're one of those that's maybe looking at going back to school i mean if you have ideas but you could use a little more direction Sounds to me like maybe the Nate J.R. Shaw School of Business could be a perfect fit for you if you have dreams to build the next innovative product to, to solve important challenges or even, heck, reimagine the future. If you're interested in leading change and you just need the resources, maybe it's the educated professionals, maybe it's an inspiration you'll find from your colleagues in the classroom. It's the largest business school in Alberta at Nate in Alberta's capital city you can learn more about registering today at the Nate J.R. Shaw School of Business by checking him out online at Nate.ca now of course you know if you tune into Real Talk often that I'm going to tell you and I do it with great sincerity that every day is a great day for a blizzard And, and that's why of course Today is, well, yeah, you got it. A perfect day to check out the peanut butter puppy chow blizzard treat. It's for humans, though. The new peanut butter puppy chow blizzard treat will transform your summer. Guaranteed. Okay, it's a secret recipe, right? The crispy, chocolatey, peanut buttery sensation. They call that puppy chow. Well, the secret's now officially in a DQ treat. It's taken to another level, of course, with peanut butter topping choco chunks and blended with world-famous DQ Soft Serve. You can pick yours up today at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. That's Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Baseline, Road. And when you're out at the Real Talk Golf Classic on Thursday, John, you remember what tee box they're on? They're on tee box number...
3: I don't move from my spot. I got mine carted
1: over. That's right. You're going to be spinning tunes on T-Box number four at the Real Talk station. Are you
3: talking about the the Dilly Bar Shooters? The Dilly Bar Shooters (laughs) at T-Box
1: number 10 coming up at the Real Talk Golf Classic. Oh, and by the way, you know who else is going to be at that golf tournament? It's our dear friends, the Monsma family from Grand Dog Essentials. It's quality raw food at Grand Dog, But, but it's not just what we talked to you about the the, the doggy-moggy blends, the raw chicken, the bison, the tripe, everything that we feed our dogs. Uh, these are the Monstomous dogs. These, these are Philly and Doozer at Crescent Halls right near beautiful Nordeg, Alberta, with their newest treats. Uh, Grand Dog has dog treats to fuel summer adventure. They're made using the beef-veggie blend dog food, and then they're freeze-dried for easy traveling. They can be broken up into smaller pieces to be tailored to your dog's needs, and of course you can also use the treats as a food topper uh, for pups to enjoy a little extra crunch, some extra te- uh, texture, or maybe a little bit of a different taste at mealtime. You can learn more by checking out GrandDog.ca delivered right to your door in Edmonton, Calgary in central Alberta. Don't forget the promo code REALTALK knocks 10%. Off your first-time order from Grand Dog Essentials. Well, yesterday, uh, Johnny and I looked back. uh, It was 10 years ago yesterday that the Southern Alberta floods Mm -hmm. officially began. Uh, I can't believe it's been a decade uh, where we looked at... The toll that Mother Nature takes, Uh, this was uh, an influx of of, uh, just an incredible amount of rain. There were spring runoff implications and uh, the dollar amount on that. I mean, the human toll was huge. Five people lost their lives directly due to the floods. More than 100,000 displaced. But at that time in 2013, $5 billion uh, meant that the Southern Alberta floods were the most expensive, the most costly natural disaster in Canadian history. That was until the beast. That was until right around Fort McMurray, that boreal forest, a fire started that would level thousands of homes, of buildings that would see one of the largest community evacuations in Canadian history, and ultimately register as the most costly natural disaster in our country's history. The Fort McMurray wildfire is the subject of celebrated author John Valiant's new book, Fire Weather, the true story from a hotter world. Uh, John is an acclaimed author uh, behind award-winning nonfiction books, The Golden Spruce and The Tiger, national bestsellers. His debut novel, The Jaguar's Children, was a finalist for the Rogers Writers Trust Fiction Prize. He's received the Governor General's Literary Award, uh, British Columbia's National Award for Canadian Nonfiction, and others. He's written for The New Yorker, The Atlantic, National Geographic, and The Walrus. And he makes his Real Talk debut this morning from, I think, his home in Vancouver. Am I right, John?
5: Yeah, good morning. And uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty soggy here in Vancouver. Yeah, same
1: as here, by the way. It's 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 uh, sort of uh, uncharacteristically uh, wet uh, this week. But of course, as you know, uh, half of Alberta, it feels like, has been on fire for the last month. And so everybody, I think, is is grateful to see this precipitation.
5: Oh, absolutely. Uh, No, it's really good to see. Uh, and, uh, and even the snow, I hear you've, you've got even blizzard conditions, but I think you take your precipitation, uh, where you can get it when you're, uh, when you're on fire
1: yeah it looked like uh our friends at marmot basin in jasper national park at the ski hill there had like 18 inches or something yesterday i saw some photos of (laughs) snow piled up on picnic tables it it looked like it was the middle of february uh john what what was it about the fort mcmurray fire in particular uh that prompted you i can't imagine how many hundreds of hours go into writing a book like fire weather what was it about this incident in particular
5: Honestly, I think I felt what a lot of other citizens felt when they saw this really serious city disappear under a giant cloud 15 kilometers tall. I mean, there was real fear, real concern for the people. And the idea that a fire could do that to to such a well-developed and well-equipped city was really alarming. And then as I looked at it more closely and saw that there had been frost on the ground a few days earlier, that there were car-sized blocks of winter ice still on the Athabasca River, that um, lakes were still frozen over. I thought, wow, if it can happen there, imagine what that kind of heat and that kind of fire could do to a southern city. So it really is remote as Fort McMurray is for so many of us. I didn't see it as a one-off. I didn't see it as a freak event. It really looked to me like a bellwether, a sign of things to come.
1: You, you describe it as the wildfire equivalent of Hurricane Katrina. And, uh, and I think that, that for a lot of people, that'll ring true even to this day. I mean, I can't even believe when I see footage, um, a lot of it's through dash cams. Uh, I mean, I, I could I'll never forget. I was I was on the radio live that morning in the mornings to follow. And uh, it, it was just it was apocalyptic. I mean, I just I can't even imagine what it would have been like. We were taking calls from people from the cabs of their trucks. We were taking calls from people. I mean, it was it was just uh, something that that nobody really, I think, had ever seen in the context of a fire that big and that intense touching down and threatening and ultimately seriously damaging a significant population center, like almost 100,000 people in Fort McMurray at that time. Uh, But we shouldn't necessarily have been surprised. I mean, almost to suggest you wouldn't say it at the time, but it was only a matter of time. I mean, this stuff's been happening for ages.
5: One thing I've noticed, Ryan, is I've studied this and and spoken to survivors uh, in California and Alberta and elsewhere it's really hard to imagine it happening to you. You can see all the news uh, you want to see. You can look at terrible fires in Australia, in Southern California, and it's still really hard to imagine that reality touching you in your hometown until it happens. And ask anybody in Nova Scotia right now. I mean, they're they're still in shock. They can't believe that an Alberta-sized fire came to little Nova Scotia, and yet there it is, And frankly, the writing has been on the wall climatically uh, and in terms of temperature for, for 20 years now, really.
1: John, I want to get into the the premise of your book, for uh, Fire Weather, because you you talk about the, I would say, a complicated relationship. That's not necessarily uh, how you describe it, but it's a rapidly evolving relationship that humankind has had with fire. Uh, fire has been very important, obviously, in our evolution. It's it shaped our culture. As you write about our civilization, uh, maybe even our brains, it's allowed us to cook. It's allowed us to heat our homes and, and our machines right like it's fire has been very important to humans but but as you do write about it it's managed to elude or evade our
5: control it's an extraordinary energy and what's amazing is how intimately we live with it I mean in a way there are fires burning in most people's houses 24/7 if, if you think of your pilot lights right uh, if you think of your stoves um it, of course if you think of your car engines, fire is all around us and we've because of really great engineering and because of our truly ancient history w- with this chemical reaction called fire we are have, a, have have an extraordinary comfort with it it's almost like one way to think about it is we relate to it almost the way we do our dogs you know it's this alien thing that we allow to sleep on our couch and be in our homes at all times of day that we trust in a way and yet fire Kind of like a, a feral dog will take what it can when it can, and you know you can. A candle is a beautiful thing for a romantic dinner, but if it tips over and catches onto your tablecloth, it will burn your house down without you know thinking twice, uh, metaphorically speaking. So it's uh, it's an uneasy balance that we have, and what's happened by burning fossil fuels relentlessly for two hundred years, we have really altered the chemistry of the atmosphere to make fire uh, conditions more conducive uh, to burning all over the world now. So really our deep allegiance to fire, a worship of it, you could almost say, because it enhances our own power and our ability to achieve wealth and autonomy so powerfully, um, we've also enabled it. And by creating a hotter atmosphere, It's now easier for fire to burn in more parts of the world. In fact, there really have never been so many fires burning on Earth as there are at this time in history. It's an amazing time to be a human, but it's also an even better time to be a fire.
1: Mm. Obviously, you know, with let me say uh, emissions heavy industries uh I'm, I'm not going to pretend like the environmental impact is limited to the airspace directly above the footprint of where those industries occur right in other words what i'm saying is the Ford, climate reality course. around fort mcmurray and the oil sands is not dramatically different than in vancouver where you are or in nova scotia right now but yeah. From a storytelling standpoint, the fact that the beast that 2016 fire was happening around, essentially, I mean, the, the you know the the bullseye of of where Canada's energy economy thrives, uh, the oil sands, wasn't lost on people. Uh, I think sometimes, and, and and maybe you and I can get into this. I think that that in some context, Fort McMurray was unfairly targeted with some of these narratives and in particular because of how early some of the comments were coming you know the fires were still burning the houses were still smoldering but on another hand uh, it demanded a conversation that needs to happen and you have it you prompted in this book
5: yeah I really agree and I think I I do want to say that when those fires were burning 99% of the energy going toward Fort McMurray from elsewhere was deepest concern, genuine fear, and a heartfelt wish to help uh, the evacuees land safely. And so that's, you know, th- there were there were some climate critics that were, um, you know, made much of, but I think we really need to keep the focus on the fact that these were Canadians who were in deep distress and, other Canadians really felt that and and wanted to help. So that's a factor. I mean the uh, the, uh, the the coincidence of this colossal fire, this incredible energy being released from the forest itself into this incredible source of petroleum energy, it was almost like, you know, there's a, there's a line from Shakespeare about when when two great fires meet. Uh, they, they kind of destroyed themselves. And that's kind of what we saw. These two, these two energies colliding and the uh oil sands operations were shut down en masse, really for the first time in history. You know, billions of dollars were were lost in revenue, uh, not to mention the jobs, not to mention the the serious and ongoing health issues. I mean that's one thing that that is harder to tally you can you know you could say it's the, the most expensive disaster in Canadian history but the fact is those injuries and that damage continues in the lungs of firefighters and first responders and in the psyches of the people who had to brave those terrible flames that you just showed with with their children so P- ptsd is a real thing still going uh, there's a, a lot of uncertainty among people who went through that fire about, you know, where is it safe to live now? Uh, how do I take care of myself and my kids?
1: It's I mean, man, we, we've had so many conversations on this show and my previous show about, you know, communities uh, and, and what some of them are doing. You know, Jasper is an example uh, when it comes to not just fire preparedness, but also just in, intelligent design and in some of the forest clearing efforts that they're doing and some new building codes and how far back people are building homes. But, but there is a bigger conversation to be had as well, right? Um, In in your book, uh, Fire Weather, you talk about kind of the birth of climate science. And uh, as soon as you start talking about climate science and climate change, uh, with no pun intended, it, it, it kind of like heats up the conversation, the tone of the conversation, right? And then politics, can become a factor as well. Uh, John, just a couple of weeks ago, less than two weeks ago on June 8th, I sat down with Alberta's newly elected premier, Danielle Smith. And there was one moment in that interview that really resonated with people. As a matter of fact, it enraged uh, some people. And and I want to get you to comment on that. Uh, But first... Let's tee it up. Here's Premier Danielle Smith on Real Talk on June 8th. Every expert that we talk to um, indicates uh, the significant factor that climate change is playing on our susceptibility to wildfire, you know, and on the conditions that lead to these massive blazes earlier and earlier in the season. So how do you reconcile those two?
4: Well, I think you're watching as I am the number of stories about arson. And um, I'm very concerned that there are arsonists and there have been stories as well that we're investigating and we're bringing in arson investigators from outside the province. We have almost uh, 175 fires with no known cause at the moment. Sometimes they're very easy to trace. When you have lightning storms, that's easy to trace. When you have a train derailment, that's easy to trace, campfire but to have 175 fires that we don't know the cause of, that's unusual. But the
1: conditions that allow the fires to grow as big as that, whether or not somebody starts a human carelessness leads to the start of the fire. Um, The conditions under which that fire can grow to such a massive degree. We've had wildfire experts on the show telling us that that arson is not a leading cause of wildfires mm -hmm. based on the science. Mm
4: -hmm. Well, I would say that uh, we we have to do a better job as government in making sure that we're building fire guards, because I, I think that the the issue that we had faced is there's a lot of communities that we know from what happened in slave lake and what happened in fort mcmurray that you have to make sure that when a forest fire begins that it doesn't jump over into a a town or a city because that's when you end up with real trouble
1: okay so that's premier daniel smith on the show we start talking climate science it moves to arson we transition to fire guards i'm curious for your take on that exchange
5: yeah, I mean I noticed how she she really acted off when um when when you pressed her with with actual science. And there's no I mean the fire scientists who are studying uh the conditions in Alberta that have been worsening and and drying in the favor of fire for the past two decades are are comprehensive and excellent and eloquent uh in terms of their understanding and descriptions of what's going on. Uh the fact is um that arson is real. It's one of the most heinous crimes there is, and it is a factor in uh, wildfire uh, starting in Australia, in the United States, in Canada, but it is a minor cause. And so what we also need to, to distinguish uh, is around settled areas, you know, where people are living and traveling and ATVing and maybe going hunting, um, a roughly 80% of wildfires are human-caused, and of course human-caused doesn't mean arson. It means, uh, wild, uh, it means ATV mufflers, it means campfires, it means cigarettes. So there, there are all these other causes in addition to lightning, which is a really common cause of fires in the boreal, especially as temperatures heat up. Lightning strikes actually increase as ambient temperatures rise. So that is uh, a real factor in Australia, uh, sorry, in Alaska and across the northern boreal. So to, um, to start insinuating that these unknown fires are caused by arson, I think is really irresponsible, because it's such a dangerous crime. It's such a serious crime. And it's really and also the, the vict- it's like an equal opportunity crime in the sense that everybody downwind of a fire, regardless of per- political party, uh, is at risk, and really life and limb. And so I think when, when we talk about these radioactive terms, like arson, uh, we, we need to couch it carefully and responsibly, especially if we are leaders of provinces.
1: Yeah. And I mean, and, and just to say it maybe with uh, less class than you just did, uh, but uh, there are some conspiracy theories floating around. I, I think, number one, that's a yeah. that's a racist conspiracy theory yeah. that suggests that indigenous people, that First Nations are intentionally starting fires to create employment opportunities for wild firefighters, if you can believe it. And the other factor is that by insinuating that it's arson, which, of course, people draw a direct line to far left eco terrorists that are starting the fires, you're taking industry off the hook.
5: Yeah. I mean, it's uh, I, I think it's, you know, it's a kind of classic look over there. I mean, to me, it, it reminds me of uh, American Republicans referring to American liberals as pedophiles. You know, what's the worst thing you, you can be? And let's call our political adversary by that name. And it's it's really low. And it is the trouble is it's actually dangerous because there are people who will respond to this? Who may even act on it in really frightening ways that that will create crimes of their own? And so, when we're talking about a problem as serious as climate change, which I know uh, is a radioactive topic in in the government of uh, current government of Alberta, and and yet is so clearly a factor you know anybody who's lived in Alberta for 20 years knows it's getting hotter anybody who pays attention to the boreal forest knows that it's getting drier I was talking to uh, an oil patch guy in uh, Red Deer uh, last summer and he also works as a professional firefighter and they were digging test pits in uh, muskeg bogs and they were dry two and a half meters down wow so think about that bogs are made of peat and peat when you dry it out will burn like coal and it will burn indefinitely through the winter effectively forever john i know i don't have to tell you this
1: I, i don't have to tell you this may of 2016 these fires are burning i'm going off the top of my head here so it may not be exact but i remember that the fort mcmurray wildfire was declared out like it was like the next summer and they were they were explaining because the fire was still burning below the if I can say casually yeah. the surface of the earth uh, yeah. for months and months. I mean that blew yeah. my mind. I had no idea.
5: They will a fire can survive the winter, burning through root systems and peat, and then it can revive the following spring. And so the Fort McMurray fire, also known as the Horse River fire, was not declared extinguished until mid August of 2017. So that's 15 months. Wow that it burned. And in so do in so doing it burned, you know, two thousand three hundred square miles of forest and, and you know, hundreds of, you know, millions of tons of CO two was released into the atmosphere, not to mention the human cost, you know, that we're all painfully familiar with now. And uh, no, these are these are really, really potent energy sources. And what we're seeing on the, the Donny Creek fire in, in British Columbia is now the biggest fire in British Columbia history. And that is saying something. There have been massive fires in that province. It's even bigger than Alberta is. And now, right now, the biggest fire in its history is burning out of control with four months of fire season to go. So we are we're in a serious, uh, a really serious position here in Canada.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, well, think of think of the Lytton wildfire in in BC. I mean, that yeah. was like literally, I mean, a town like wiped off the face of the earth they vowed to rebuild it with with sort of in a fire smart fashion but unbelievable stuff so John let's I want to sort of get back to the the, on the show we always endeavor to have like a takeaway you know somebody hears this interview and they go well what now Uh, because if humans uh, are like me listening to you and this is not on you I'm grateful for your writing but this is the type of thing that can create almost a sense of hopelessness Um, You know, people are like communities overwhelmed by even hundreds or thousands of kilometers. The whole blame Canada thing in New York State just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, there's these toxic, you know, wildfire. I mean, the the air quality plummets and and people kind of go, is this the new reality? I mean, I was a participant in a conversation on the sidelines of the soccer game like two weeks ago where people are going, I think this is just going to be June now. Um, You talk about it. You write about a new century of fire and you say that this is just the beginning. Uh, So what do we need to be thinking about?
5: So, Ryan, I'd like to say off the top that I'm hopeful about the future. Mm -hmm. And what what's happening is fire is absolutely changing. And so we need to change our relationship to it. We cannot treat it like it's the 1990s anymore. It is now hotter and drier than at any time in human history, uh, and fire is going to respond to that. So we need to think about how we build, what we build out of, uh, and how we manage our construction, for one thing. So building in the forest, in the wildland-urban interface, where half of Canadian homes are are now built, uh, we need to rethink that. And we, we also need to rethink what we build our homes out of, because right now they're built out of Petroleum products. When you think of, I mean, it's amazing that most of the houses in Fort McMurray, which is in the middle of the boreal forest, a fire-dependent ecosystem, most of those houses were sided with vinyl siding. Firefighters call vinyl siding solidified gasoline. Yeah, and then you've got tar shingled roofs, and you've got uh, all the laminates, and and so we are the modern home is actually a very flammable place. And so to build flammable structures in the middle of a fire-dependent ecosystem doesn't make sense when you take the long view. It makes great sense if you're a developer, I guess, but it doesn't make sense if you're trying to negotiate a relationship with a powerful natural system. And so the takeaway for me is let's look at what's around us. The forest is not just something to be bulldozed over and mined out. It's actually an incredible energy source unto itself It's also not only does it sequester carbon, which we need more than anything right now, but it also burns like a son of a gun and we need to respect it accordingly. And so the uh, third piece of this is the transition that is under well underway now to uh, carbon neutral energy. And so, I mean, Texas, interestingly, and Alberta are both Uh, continental leaders in this regard, in terms of moving towards solar and wind and away from adding still more CO2 into a system that we've already supercharged to the point that fires are now able to burn with a, a kind of ferocity, intensity, and durability that we've never seen before.
1: You know, one of one of the things that I uh, just am, just drives me nuts, uh, John, and it's so frustrating is that conversation around flood or fire, uh, in particular, changes in climate, um, human caused climate change, emissions, emissions reduction, carbon taxes, and the carbon tax is going up again now, and and obviously the the you know the Trudeau Liberals' political opponents um, are going to be pointing out they were just yesterday that it means for the and I haven't checked the numbers I just read their press release so. Don't hold me to it. But but Pierre Polyev and the conservatives say that the, the new Trudeau uh, carbon tax, the increase in the tax will cost Canadians 17 cents more per liter at the pumps. And then that resonates with people. It resonates with their pocketbooks. Right. And if they work in oil and gas or if they work in energy. And again, I feel like I have to offer all these disclaimers. I'm almost embarrassed that I do. But like, you know, we support oil and gas. The oil and gas has built candidates. It's, it's fueled the economy. Uh, I mean, like. We're grateful for it uh, because you have to say these types of things because the conversation just gets, just gets so dumbed down. Someone like you yeah. and I, you know, we'll sit here and talk and we'll say, Look at the flood, look at the fire, look at the devastation. And someone will say, You know, whoa, oh, did you ride your horse to work? Oh, are you going to ride a bicycle down to Phoenix for your vacation? And it's kind of like we, we can't even have like a, a conversation for our take the politics out of it. You know, I, I mean, obviously people want to preserve their employment. I get that. Uh, but at the same time, like we're talking about and again here's another loaded word to use but i'll stand by it an existential threat uh to humankind on the yeah. planet and it's such a polarized conversation i feel like i mean we'll keep having it because uh, you can't shut down these conversations here and i think that they're important but do you do you share my frustration
5: oh it's it's really alarming and and what I found is when you get and you know I spent a lot of time in Fort McMurray talking to people who work in the petroleum industry and you know when you get people on their own and most people are really rational and are trying to make good decisions. and so uh, to find to find these kind of to simplistic polarizing arguments you know about yeah did you ride your horse to school, etc is you know most people won't go there most people will talk to you like a sensible human being. And these kind of lightning rod uh, polarizing arguments, which basically neutralize uh, an ability to move forward. And to, I mean, just the, it seems ludicrous to me to be concerned about a 17 cent increase, frankly in anything, when you compare it to the absolutely traumatizing and billion dollar costs of a major flood or a major fire. And nobody wants to go through that again. And I think almost anybody that you spoke to would say, I would like to do things in my life that would reduce the likelihood of that happening again. Hmm. And, you know, this is a big ask to get people to act on climate. It's so huge. It's so abstract. It's quite scary that it's kind of easier to retreat to the sort of safer, more prosaic arguments and frankly feelings you know of well that guy's just trying to take my job away yeah and we know that that's not true and we also know that the green energy sector is absolutely exploding right now so in terms of job opportunities uh there's it's only going to grow through the through this decade and we're in a you know we're in a once in a century energy transition Mm -hmm. and that it happened with petroleum too there was a time when there wasn't adequate petroleum infrastructure and. There were all kinds of issues and glitches, and we worked through them. And now, you know, the petroleum distribution system now is, is one of the greatest feats of engineering ever performed across the globe. It's really miraculous. Well, we can do the same thing with renewable energy, especially building on this incredible experience we've developed over the past century, perfecting the petroleum distribution system. So we're in a good place, to make a, a really elegant, positive, and profitable transition.
1: Our live chat uh, is just this this like army of engaged citizens. And, and what you're saying is really resonating. And I just wanted to give a shout out to a couple of people that are making great points. I mean, John right now says our house insurance uh, just went up 300 bucks a year. Uh, effective August, absolutely no reason other than shared cost for claims due to fire and flood. Curtis right now says insurance rates are up like 30%. Because of climate-related disasters, who cares about 10 cents a liter? So, yeah. uh, I mean, th- these are points, not, not, to, not to you know uh, dismiss concerns that people have about their bottom lines at a time where life is more and more expensive, but, but I think that sometimes we need, to be honest, uh, to give our heads a bit of a shake and have a bigger picture conversation. You know, it's just a fact. Uh,
5: absolutely. Well, I mean, Ryan, right now in the state of California, State Farm and Allstate have just said that they are issuing no new fire insurance for for new builds in the state of California that that's a state with as many people in it practically as all of Canada and so when you have huge old national insurance companies refusing to cover entire states or entire provinces that is going to change the culture not to mention our bottom line so 17 cents, you can sweat all you want, but let's look at the real issue here. Where are you going to build your house? Who's going to build it? Uh and, and that these are all responses to climate change. These are what are known as cascade effects to these uh more these recent disasters. And it's real and it's coming to a town near you. Mm. And the same way that the fire the Fort McMurray fire, you know, was not a one-off. It was not something that just happens up in uh, deepest, darkest Alberta, it's something that could happen anywhere in North America. Likewise, these changes to insurance are going to touch all of our lives and all of our wallets much more profoundly than any carbon tax is going to.
1: John Valen's new book, uh, Fireweather: a true story from a hotter world. You can find it anywhere you get good books and you can check out the show notes on the podcast or on YouTube Uh, To click to that direct link. Thank you so much for your time. Nobody tells a story quite like you, John. Uh, We really appreciate it.
5: Ryan, it's uh, great to make your acquaintance and to be on your excellent show. Thanks so much.
1: You got it. Again, you can find that in the show notes. And and, uh, man, man, what a perspective, Shay. Shaking my
3: head the whole time. Amazing guest. Two, Two things I loved what he said. Number one, he believes everyone's rational people. I say this all the time. I believe like the majority of people are rational, they read through the lines, they're semi moral. Um, And number two, when he said, if you're living in Alberta right now, everyone knows it's getting hotter. I said this this year. I said, is is this not like the tamest coming out of the winter season we've ever had? We always have like that blizzard in April that comes out Mm. of nowhere. We didn't have that. And then boom, that first week of spring where it was just so hot. And then the rain now, these last seven to 10 days. Have you ever, and I've only been in Alberta since 2009. I've never seen a seven to 10 day span where we had thunderstorms Every single day. Mm. And people think of rain as a good thing, but that's from climate change as well. Well, I mean, More even- hot air, more moisture, more thunderstorms. And I come from Ontario. More thunderstorms than anywhere else in Canada, in southern Ontario. The GTA Durham region. I can't remember. It feels like I'm back home. Mm. Every day I'm going to sleep with thunderstorms and then waking up and reading about fires in BC and... It's just, it's, how can you not believe in climate change? I just don't get it. <laughs> yeah, we're,
1: we're gonna, I mean, obviously this is a conversation that we'll keep, happen, we'll keep having and, and we're gonna keep bringing experts to the show. Keep in mind, these are continuing conversations. This 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 whole Real Talk project is one big continuing conversation, right? Like, you know, one day, you know, we'll have the premier on. We don't know what she's gonna talk about. We don't know that she's gonna talk about arson and allude to arson, uh, but she does, and so we follow up on that with fire experts to come. I mean, we we've been talking to wildfire experts, Mike Flanagan, within this last month. You have to check out that episode. Uh, some of the remarkable video that you've been seeing through this interview, if you're watching it on YouTube, is video that was captured by uh, video journalists, by independent video journalist Kyle Bertain. Um, you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Kyle Bertain uh, WX. And, and again, I'm showing you right now. I mean, if you go back in our archive on May 24th, uh, you can. check Check out Kyle's appearance on this show, where he was telling us what it was like to, to be doing his reporting and, and his uh, news gathering up in the boreal forest where these fires are burning. That's the May twenty fourth episode. Johnny, just show him right here uh, on my screen. You can find that, of course, on our YouTube archive and then anywhere you get your podcasts as well. And, and a shout out to uh, Sylvia. Sylvia, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you or your computer. Uh, she's watching us live, and she says <laughs> she says I don't see the show notes. Where are the show notes? (laughs) You're not wrong, Sylvia Uh, We write them We we write them after the show Because we don't know how long the interviews are going to be We don't know what we call the time code We don't know what people are going to say We don't know what people are going to say So the show notes are always written after the episode But because you are an engaged member of our live tuning audience You're here to hear it all first Man, a lot of people talking about the implications of insurance, Johnny, and this is a big deal. I, don't, I, I, wish I wasn't I going to interrupt comment. you then,
3: but I actually just went to reinsure our home under uh, the same carrier oh, yeah? as we have for our, our car insurance because I wanted it all in one place, and they were like, no we're not doing anything in Alberta right now.
1: Really? Yeah, and that's a a company.
3: I'll just say the name. It's Sonnet Insurance. It's an online company where you can do everything online. And they basically said no because of the fires, because of everything going on. You can't even insure your home right now.
1: Alberta Girl says yeah, without fire insurance, you're going to have a tough time getting a mortgage. Uh, Meantime, 80s Fanify. uh, That's a great handle on our live chat Uh, wonders. Is there any way to re-like this episode? Oh, bless you. Please do. do. Uh, You can tell all your friends about it. That's one thing you can do and and share the Conversation with rate people the that show. you know need to have it. That'd be great rate too. Rate to the show. Rate the podcast. That's what we
3: really would like. If you would go on to Apple or, or
1: Spotify, wherever. Wherever you are, and just yeah.
3: add a star there, rate us there, leave a comment, tell us why, or even if just it's not always about, you know, boosting us up. If you don't like the show either, just we just like you telling us
1: No, that's not true. We only want five stars. <laughs> you keep that to yourself. <laughs> I was, I was reading th- I was through talking the comments I was not so was talking should, about. Should we go look at it and read yeah, let's like go and Apple look. Pod look. see yeah. what people are saying um, real talk That's right? some good reasons, yeah. We we do have but then there are some really funny ones as well like the the people that give us the one stars, you know, which are also kind of funny but uh Yeah, Uh, where do you find that? Here we go. Um, uh, How about from The Hockey Mom, uh, who gives us five stars, says, Real Talk gets the best guests. The commentary is always topical. Ryan allows his guests to speak and challenges them as needed. I am a better informed Canadian for listening to Real Talk. Hockey Mom, amazing. Uh, Now let's read this one here. One star from (laughs) Frostman55. Frostman says, uh, tragically, this guy has no skills. Uh, jesperson plays a big game but he's all talking no substance he's a big personality only because he's overcompensating um he got fired from chad um he's got no interaction on twitter and his instagram's even worse uh the only room temperature only room temperature iq listeners would listen to the tripe he spews a one-star review is too kind for this failed podcaster I'm sure... Oh, this... Frostman, 55. That was all fair game, but fuck you for this next comment. I'm sure a homeless person could out-debate him. (laughs) What does that have to do with anything? There are people... I'm not even going to go there. You had me. I thought that was a great review up until that point. Uh, there's another um, one on there. And then says, uh, can you cry more, Jesperson? I wonder if Frostman <laughs> figured that I was going to read that on Look the, at the air. the one
3: in the middle but the audio levels. Uh, uh,
1: please fix your audio levels. Yeah. Uh, this is from Ed Spar. Uh, there's so much clipping and sound volumes all over the map. It may, I don't think so. But That's
3: that's impossible because we we literally put it through a compressor so that nothing goes over zero dB. But I think this is someone <laughs> possibly watching on YouTube who came and left the comment because on YouTube, it, we can't really like if a guest comes in hot and starts yelling or something, you know, it's hard to adjust that on the phone. Um, but the podcast levels are perfect.
1: How I about will this from Joel Wack? What are we doing here? We're just scratching our backs right now. <laughs> Joel Wack gives us five stars Said this deserves ten stars The show discusses everything From soup to nuts And keeps the talk real I've laughed I've cried I've yelled And I've gone away With sobering thoughts And I always learn something That's amazing I
3: like that we're see we're showing the negative and the positive oh of course the the negative is way more funny
1: (laughs) the negative is way better I mean who is it is it uh, Kimmel that reads his mean tweets right yeah of course we love that stuff so yeah you can I mean hey if you feel like lighting me up right now you can find me on find us on why don't we plug our official channels Real Talk RJ on Instagram TikTok and Twitter there you go Uh, Johnny does an amazing job with our reels every day if you want to see kind of like I want to say the best because we have a lot of great moments on every show but if you want to see like an issue or a guest Condensed to sixty seconds or less, uh, you can follow us on one of those platforms, uh, including tick Our TikTok game have been really it's going off up right lately, now. which is yeah. great, which is awesome. Um, yeah we should have asked. We didn't talk to Francis Hagen yesterday much about TikTok. We kept our focus more on Facebook, the whistleblower. She kept
3: mentioning those two, though, as the big Boy, was ones. She ever smart. And I think it's because they're so different. Like TikTok being run over there in Asia a lot differently than Facebook right now, As soon
1: as you start talking about China, people start going, well, okay, that adds a whole added layer of, you know, people think about surveillance, surrendering personal privacy, but people don't even think about that for American-based social media platforms. Like Facebook is going
3: off with misinformation and lies, whereas TikTok, like we posted a thing on 420 and they took it down. Like you can't talk about drugs. You can't talk about any kind of bashing of
1: people. Yeah. 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 Um, how about this one from, uh, yeah, Glenna agrees with me. He says, the negative reviews are way funnier. I totally agree. Um, and uh, Tony says, when Real Talk has Rick Bell on, I have to turn the volume down. He so is that's a, one he, of the guys. Like
3: They come in and they're like, hey, Ryan, how's it going hey, today? How's it and going? then all of a sudden they're like, and then he's like, Albert and Stan, like, drunken sailors! But yeah, it's hard I live love, to... I freaking
1: love when yeah. Rick Bell's on the show. What a beauty. Um, uh, many of you saying that, you know, Ben here says, Real Talk can be quite emotional for everybody. It makes things fun at times. Um, others of you saying that, you know, that, that you have, you know, laughed and cried and sometimes in the same show, which is great. We never endeavor to make you laugh. or Well, that's not true. We do. Uh, never endeavor to make you cry. Uh, but sometimes we know that, I mean, a story just resonates a certain way. Heck, I've shed more tears on Real Talk than I did in... 15 years in media before that so Mm. um and sometimes they're happy tears um you know we're talking about fire and one of the other ways that you can support the show is to support our sponsors and uh, the team at complete care restoration right now this is i I mean they're busier i mean it's always good to be busy when you run a business but it's a bit of a gut check uh, and a gut punch for them as well right because they're helping people get back on their feet uh, recovering from fire damage and flood damage And, and unfortunately uh this time of year uh they're getting more calls. There's more claims. Now, it's good for them as a business, but uh, quite frankly, they've spelled it out to us. They hope that none of you ever have to call them at 780-454-0776. But if your family is navigating that nightmare, or maybe you busted open a wall for a renovation, you found mold in there, or maybe asbestos you got to get rid of, you can trust... Complete Care Restoration. How do I say that? Not because they pay us, but because we hired them to build our studio and they did an unbelievable job. Johnny and I think of the one time he had the drill bit and they're punching a hole in the wall to run a cable through and they've got a second guy there with <laughs> a, vacuuming with the dust vacuum it falls. Under the drill. The dust wasn't even hitting <laughs> the floor. Like, come on. That's one example. That's one example of how they conduct themselves on the job site. Every single night, everything tidied and cared for before they started work again the next day. Two thumbs up for Complete care restoration from all of us here at real talk you know if you're streaming us live on the Mixler audio app that's presented by our friends at california closets they're building custom closets and storage solutions for the entire home and it all starts with a free design consultation you can get that started today at californiaclosets.ca my wife carrie and i hired their team about 10 years ago actually to build out an entertainment center for us and help us with our closet space we've got an old home and the closets needed some help but what I'm loving is what California Closets is doing with garages now the garage is the workhorse of the home so why not make it work for you right custom design cabinetry drawers shelves specialty storage racks create a purposeful room for efficiently storing garden and snow tools and then of course don't forget they can also help you out with those underused rooms in your house. Uh, kind hi, of show that? This, is, this is a Murphy bed yeah. that Real Talkers, Amy and Dustin, had installed. They told us it took the California Closets team one day to install it. Look at this thing come down here. You don't even have to take the flowers off the shelves. Look at this. The shelves <laughs> underneath move the bed as the bed comes down. Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. And, and just to talk dollars and cents, they told us this was $2,000 less than the competing custom closet wow. company. How great is that? You can find that at californiaclosets.ca. We also want to give a big shout out if your investment this year in your personal space is going to be on the outdoor side of things. Uh Eden Landscaping is bringing outdoor spaces to life and has been doing so for 20 years. We're working with Mike and his team currently to get our backyard transformed. And we're working on a pretty tight budget, to be quite honest with you. And Mike has been amazing, helping us find a perfect solution to make the most of our space. We need it to look good. Yeah, sure. But we need it to be functional. And they're doing an amazing job with that. You can check out their portfolio online at landscapeedmonton.ca. They've got more than 20 years of experience, which means they've got a lot of referrals and a lot of return business. You can talk to them with the confidence that your job is going to be done with thoughtful, flowing vision you're going to see the function increase as the landscape matures Lots of planning goes into it. You'll find Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. And our friends at Apex Automation want you to know that they're hiring right now. So if you're a professional engineer in Canada, chances are you're going to find a fit at Apex Automation. If you're an electrical engineer, instrumentation, computer science, process or mechanical engineer, even an instrument technician or an electrician, they want to talk to you. They want to have a well rounded team that can deliver turnkey, projects for their clients and they know that not one person can do it all on their own plus they give back to the communities that they live and work in and that means that in Edmonton and Calgary and Lloyd and Saskatoon every year they're providing tens of thousands of dollars supporting local charity events. We want to also congratulate Apex Automation for opening up their brand new field office in Houston, Texas. It's one of the fastest-growing automation firms. The Real Talk Live studio audience loves that announcement. One of the fastest-growing automotive uh, firms in or automation firms in the country. That's Apex Automation the band did a good job there of wrapping up right on time I told him I gave him the mm-hmm. like you gave him the 10 yeah, second wrap come on, come on here we go wrap it up <laughs> Larry over there playing the bass well now, boom, now boom, I'm really focused on the
3: boom. audio levels because yeah. of that comment Good it really job. really grinds my
1: gears why did you direct me to the one star comment that directly criticized your job performance because I feel you like, should have directed me to one that talks about how my questions are bullshit but or I'm
3: a, I'm a positive and negative reinforcement guy so I of course I go read all the comments that are bad and I you know you want to improve yeah. but I also listen to the show every day on the way home in the car so i thought that that comment especially from this year yeah was a little off because we've done a lot to improve the audio quality of the show so that when you're in the car you know we have guests in here where there's like four or five people in here at a time it's hard after to get all those audio levels right and i do a, i do a lot of work to you try know and how make we sure, improved it you know
1: Along with your technical expertise, investment from our Patreon supporters. That's how we improve the audio of the show. And so we want to thank all of you. I love this comment from Emma who says, yeah, I've cried listening to Real Talk as well. That first chat about grief with that gentleman who's a funeral director, I believe. Jeremy, oof, says Emma. Emma, do you remember? We had Jeremy Allen booked on the show. Mm -hmm. And then the night before he was booked to talk to us, his dog passed away. I know and the first like half of the conversation was a guy who's an uh, you can check out what he does at deathed.ca he helps people navigate the discomfort of grief and loss he's not he's not just a funeral director and that's not taking anything away from people in that in that incredibly important profession but he's like a grief counselor. He's a grief educator. Mm-hmm. And uh, his personal perspective, I mean, the tables were turned, right? And uh, Emma, you're right. That that was, uh, oh, my goodness. That Emma, I'm so glad you mentioned that interview. Uh, you can check our podcast archive and, of course, our YouTube archive as well. Uh, coming up on tomorrow's episode of Real Talk, this is the Wednesday episode. Have you ever heard of Paris Marks? Uh, Paris is arguably Elon Musk's biggest critic. Uh, But that is just the beginning of where their commentary begins on tech and the future of AI. I'm expecting a fascinating conversation. And then the second half of the episode, we're going to welcome two experts out of Mount Royal University in Calgary. They took a look at those Southern Alberta floods from 10 years ago. What did we learn from them and what do we still have to learn? We'll go there.
0: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Derlego. Human resources, Lena Shepherd. Website design, Mike Johnston. voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harman Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson.